Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, best-selling author Kate DiCamillo talks about the first title in her new book series of modern-day fairy tales, The Puppets of Spellhorst. Also this morning, it's on to the regional quarterfinals for a handful of area teams. Coach's Corner host John Marshall previews another week of high school football action. Speaking of sports, University of Findlay basketball coach Charlie Ernst previews the Oilers' upcoming season with a tip-off just a week away. And our Around the World tour continues with a collection of easy Swedish recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, November 3rd, 2023. It is time to reset the clocks yet again. On Sunday, we fall back. Daylight saving time ends specifically at 2 a.m., but most of us will set our clocks back before we hit the sack on Saturday, unless you are so inclined to use the extra hour for an extra hour of partying and bar hopping and all of that. Um, But 2 a.m. on Sunday miraculously becomes 1 a.m. again, Almost everywhere in the U.S., except for Arizona and Hawaii, the only two states that do not uh, observe daylight saving time and rather sensibly leave their clocks alone while the rest of us uh, change our clocks. Experts say that this uh, time change, this twice a year time change, really is uh, not good for us. Um, It's rather unhealthy, although... Uh, They say it uh, messes with our sleep patterns, makes us cranky, that kind of thing. Generally, the bigger concern is the spring forward time change where we lose an hour of sleep rather than falling back when we gain an hour. But they say we would be better off not changing the clocks at all from a physical and mental health standpoint. However... um, Efforts by lawmakers to make the time permanent and end the daylight saving time issue have uh, stalled in recent years in Congress. number of states have passed laws, trigger laws, that if they ever do anything about the time change ritual in Congress, that... uh, State laws will allow them to uh, stay on daylight saving time. Here's the thing. Uh, You can eliminate daylight saving time, but you have to, by law, you have to stay on standard time. And most everybody wants to stay on daylight saving time to add to the amount of daylight we have in the afternoon hours. And you can't do that. So anyway, it's the time change weekend, long and short of it. So... Don't forget to uh, set your clocks back an hour this weekend. By the way, speaking of time, when does too much time spent alone start to turn into feelings of loneliness? A new study from the University of Arizona found that people start to feel blue if they spend more than 75% of their time alone. That is the threshold. 75% of your time. Any more than that, And it can trigger loneliness. Um, Older adults, in particular, at risk of these feelings of loneliness. Overall, participants in this study that they did at the University of Arizona spent an average of two-thirds of their time alone. 
And Professor David Sabara says, we are learning more and more about the importance of social interactions for human health, and it appears that loneliness and isolation are related but distinct concepts. I think we all, I think we all learned that uh, during the pandemic, did we not? I mean, too much time by ourselves is not good for us. By the way, uh, speaking of the pandemic, I thought this was kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, uh, new study finds that most American cities have recovered from the COVID pandemic. Some have more than recovered. The Their vibrancy uh, is measured in terms of downtown foot traffic or foot traffic at if not downtown, in key areas. For example, Las Vegas uh, has fully recovered, and then some. They have actually added more pedestrians to their mix on the Strip, downtown, all of that. So they have more than recovered. Um, El Paso, Texas, and San Jose, California are doing just fine as well. But there are still some cities that have gone and stayed alarmingly quiet post-pandemic, including St. Louis, Louisville, Kentucky, and the twin cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul. Why those cities have not recovered? Well, I was going to say why those cities haven't recovered as well as Las Vegas, but I guess you can figure that out. I mean, with everything that Las Vegas has to offer, it's no surprise that they've recovered, but why... Uh, those cities are doing not as well as El Paso, for example. I have no idea, but it is kind of uh, kind of interesting. Uh, what else is uh, going on among the first things you need to know this morning? Uh, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. This is big news. A new theory as to where Jimmy Hoffa might be buried. <laughs> uh, a team of cold case experts is out with a report that says the former Teamsters boss is buried in the parking lot of the Milwaukee Brewers ballpark. I thought it was supposed to be the Meadowlands in New Jersey. But no, apparently it is uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, ballpark's uh, parking lot. The Case Breakers is the name of this cold case uh, group of expert investigators. And they say that Hoffa's body is buried where third base used to be at County Stadium. And then once that stadium was torn down, it is currently under the parking lot at American Family Field, where uh, they play in Milwaukee now. So, (laughs) used to be where third base uh, is to County Stadium, or where third base was County Stadium. That's where um, Hoffa, of course, has been missing since 1975. Dozens of theories as to what happened to him, but... Still no definitive answer. I don't think they're going to dig up the parking lot to find out, but there you go. It's the latest uh, theory. And this, I thought, was uh, kind of interesting, really interesting, in fact. Um, Some amazing science just blows my mind here. A big lake has appeared in the driest place in North America, also one of the hottest places on Earth. Uh, But there is a new big lake that has appeared in the middle of California's Death Valley National Park. And it is not a small lake. It is 
two miles wide and four miles long, a salty lake right there in the middle of Death Valley. The lake at Badwater Basin formed, they say, after remnants of Hurricane Hillary dumped more than two inches of rain in Death Valley in just 24 hours, which is an incredibly high amount of rain, a monumentally, historically large rainfall for Death Valley, two inches in 24 hours. Uh, Badwater Basin is the lowest point in North America, 282 feet below sea level. Uh, It is home to salt flats left behind from an ancient lake, and now there is a new lake there, apparently. Now, they do say it probably will not be around for long, as it is only a few inches deep, and obviously one of the driest and hottest places on Earth, so it is likely to evaporate in short order. But uh, if you want to visit, I, I this would be really cool. I've never really had this burning desire to visit Death Valley National Park. Um, but this is kind of historic. Um, and it won't be around long. Badwater Basin is a two and a half hour drive west of Las Vegas. So when you're tired of the crowds <laughs> in Vegas... Now, we mentioned the crowds have recovered, but if you're if you're tired of that, take a two-and-a-half-hour drive to the west. You can see uh, that uh, historic lake. Probably best not to take a dip in the lake. You wouldn't be able to anyway because it's only a few inches deep, but there you go. So, interesting stuff. And uh, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started here. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. A Dayton man was sentenced yesterday for killing a 32-year-old woman last year in the Dayton suburb of Riverside. Here's ONN's Parker Testa. 27-year-old Jamar Hayes was sentenced to 48 years to life following the shooting death of Shauna Cameron. Cameron died after being shot while riding in a car on US-35 on Mother's Day last year. Hayes faces multiple charges including murder, felonious assault, and intimidation. To the northwest of Columbus, a husband and wife are dead after an apparent murder-suicide yesterday near Marysville. The Union County Sheriff's Office says it appears that 79-year-old Forrest Jenkins killed 76-year-old Darlene Jenkins before turning the gun on himself. They were found dead of apparent gunshot wounds in a bedroom of the home by a family member. The incident remains under investigation. Cases of chickenpox are showing up around a northern Ohio town. Amanda Fay with ONN affiliate WTOL-TV in Toledo reports. The Sandusky Register cites data from the Erie County Health Department. It shows a sudden spike in the virus. Erie County saw zero cases of chickenpox from 2019 through 2021, but did report two cases last year. So far this year, the health department reports eight cases, six of those just last month. This is not considered an outbreak, but the health department says it is a good reminder to make sure your child is vaccinated. I'm Amanda Fay. For more state news, go to ONN radio.com. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. Well, joining us uh, this morning is Kate DiCamillo. We've talked with her on the uh, program before. You know her works, uh, things like Because of Winn-Dixie, The Magic Elephant, The Tiger Rising, Flora and Ulysses, just some of her works that have been turned into uh, motion pictures uh, in recent years. And she is out with a new trilogy along with a special 20th anniversary edition of The Tales of Despero. 
Kate, first of all, thanks for uh, joining us once again. 20 years, does that even seem possible uh, when you hit that anniversary? No, it doesn't. And, you know, it's like, I have to say, not none of what has happened to me seems possible, but yet <laughs> here I am. And so I feel like the only thing I can do is like be grateful and be present for it all. It all seems so incredible to me. You talk about all of that that has happened, and we we rattled off a number of your works that have been turned into motion pictures on the big screen and streaming, and and so on. What is that like to see uh, one of your works adapted uh, in that way? You know, it's it's a great gift because what happens is um, it's kind of like having a kid, you know, and that you send them off into the world and. Um, and then watch them, you know, become something bigger. So it's like the story is like you let it go and it goes and becomes something different and more fabulous. And it's just the great thing about it is like when I look at a movie, it's like I look at it like, wow, you know, I'm just somebody I'm just I'm just watching it. I'm not like thinking, oh, this, that, the other. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's not yeah. like it's my story. I'm just like thinking, God, that's so great, you know? <laughs> well, I, I know that uh, oftentimes, and, and it's, it, it's just part and parcel to adapting a book uh, to the screen things are are changed. I mean, you can't go, you know, line for line, page for page, uh, or it'd be like 10 hours long. So uh, things have to be compressed and changed and, and altered. I'm wondering how often does it happen where you see something and you think, oh, well, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that even in your own story. Yeah, no. And it's funny because the very first time it happened was with the first book. Um, and that was because of Winn-Dixie. And on that one, and it, it depends, you know, every movie is different, but that one, the director, Wayne Wang, really liked to work with writers. I went out there and I learned kind of how to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where we were like going, okay, this needs, because you're right, it can't be an absolutely faithful translation or else it wouldn't work as a movie. And he he's like, I think that there needs to be this hesitation before um, Opal's father lets her keep the dog. And I remember sitting next to him and thinking, yeah, that's like a really good editorial comment. It happens really fast in the book yeah. and it gets slowed down in, in the movie and to, to greater dramatic effect and also, you know, to more, more suspense. And so it was just like, oh, you can, you can be true to the story and also do it different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about this uh, new trilogy, uh, the Narendi Tales. Is that how you uh, pronounce it? Have I got that right? Well, that's how I say it. I made it up, so we can say it any way we <laughs> well, there, want. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so tell <laughs> yeah. us about this. Um, it's um, fairy tale novellas, so it's not quite as long as a novel, and it's um, and there are three there are three separate stories. This first one that's out right now is about uh, five puppets and uh, what happens to them as they discover the story that they're in. And, um, you know, I've worked on these a lot during the pandemic. It was like, I remember walking along thinking, what do I need to feel safe? And I thought, oh, if I had a fairy tale. So Mm. they kind of like came out of that. And, you know, my great grand wish is because they're not super long, 
I would just love to think that somebody's reading aloud to somebody else over a couple nights time, you know, what is, what goes into writing a modern day fairy tale? Uh, because that, that seems almost like a lost art, I guess. I mean, you, you know, that's not something that you hear very much of these days of new fairy tales being written. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I hope I succeeded, you know, part of what I, you know, I grew up with, um, most of us did with all of, all the fairy tales, but in particular, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I went back and reread all of his, the collected, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, um, and just kind of like got into that. It's very much this thing about like kind of getting, out of my own way, which writing always is. But in this instance, it's like tapping into something that's much older and much wiser than I am. And and I can like, if I like really, really concentrate on not thinking about myself, I can tap into that voice of the storyteller, Yeah, which is, I think, what you need. You, you mentioned that a lot of this uh, came out of the pandemic. And I, I'm, I'm wondering... You know, obviously, without the pandemic, this probably doesn't happen because that was the kind of the inspiration uh, for this. So on balance, do you look back and say, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing after all? (laughs) (laughs) I, You know, it was such a scary time. And I was, you know, I I lived a life before that where I was on the road all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember like right when everything shut down, I was getting ready to go to Colorado. We just couldn't believe that we weren't going to get on the plane, you know? And so it was just like, um, and then all of a sudden it's like, and I talked to all these writer friends who couldn't write, but for whatever reason I could. And I was so grateful that I could, because that was where I got my comfort from was being able to get away from myself and go into these, you know, these older stories. So on balance, I mean, as much as the world suffered, I don't know, but I do know it was a very productive time for me. You know, know, I I also know that during the pandemic, a lot of folks uh, tried their hand at uh, different things and a lot of people started to write. I mean, they had all of this free time and they have this story in the back of their mind and say, I'm going to write. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. What is, would be your advice to those who are just starting out as writers to do this you know, successfully? Yeah. And it's like, it's, I have the same advice, whether you're 67 or seven years old, which it's always, it's always the same thing, which is you read as much as you can. Um, and you read as widely as you can. And then this sounds ridiculous, but it took me a while to figure this out. You actually have to write. So it's like you have to, you know, for me, I made a deal with myself where I couldn't get up until I'd done two pages each morning. <laughs> so you have to find some way to do the work, you know, because it's like, it is this thing that so much, so many people have stories. They want to tell them. But what happens is you sit down in front of that blank screen and you think, I can't do it, which leads to my next thing, which is don't sit down and think that it's going to come out right the first time. So I write two lousy pages (laughs) and, uh, and then I can get up. And then I know that when I rewrite and that's, you know, the third piece of advice, you read, you write, you rewrite, 
because it's not going to come out. When I rewrite, I can make it better. So I do multiple drafts and I get, I just kind of coax my way through it. You know, I, I like, you know, jolly myself along thinking, okay, just a second draft. It's okay for it to be terrible. Uh, <laughs> it can get better the next draft, you know? So it's just like, you have to be gentle with yourself. And then the last thing that I would say is keep a notebook. Um, and that to me, I take the notebook with me everywhere. I say to kids, when they say, where do you get your story ideas? I say, I eavesdrop and I'm only partly being sarcastic because mm-hmm. I pay attention to everything. And the notebook is a reminder to, you know, to do exactly that, to pay yeah. attention. Stories are everywhere. Again, as we mentioned, the uh, special 20th anniversary edition of the Tales of Despero uh, out and the Narendi Tales is the new trilogy. You have a website where folks can learn more about uh, all of those works, right? Yes, yes. And where I'll be doing uh, events and all of that. So it's Kate DiCamillo.com. Kate de thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Take care. I'm John Marshall with this high school football preview. Three Blanchard Valley Conference schools remain in the playoffs, all in Division 7, Region 26. 14th-seeded Arlington is at Patrick Henry tonight. Pre-game is at 6.30 on WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Arlington coach Josh McGrain. Coach Enzelman has been over there for a long, long time and has done such a great job with that program and what they do. They're really balanced offensively. They really do a great job with their formations to try to get an extra gap and try to do some things to get you out of position. We have to be sound with our schemes and not have any screw-ups with formation recognition and all that stuff. And Our kids just have to fly around and play aggressive football. Again, you can hear that game on WFIN tonight starting at 6.30. Number 8 seed Pandora Gilboa travels to top seeded Hopewell Loudon tonight pregame for that one at 6.35 on 100.5 WKXA. Pandora Gilboa coach Matt Hershey. Hopewell used to be in, in the BBC, so we're semi-familiar with, with how they run things. And and like you said, they had that three-headed monster, the quarterback, running back, receiver. We're going to have our hands full defensively, but I, I think we're pretty good on the offensive side too, so it should be quite the showdown. PG at Hopewell Loudon tonight at 6.35 on WKXA. Eden visits number three, Macomb, that on 106.3 The Fox tonight with 6.30 pregame. And the remaining Division 7 Region 26 quarterfinal game sees Convoy Crestview at Lima Central Catholic. In Division 6 Region 22, number nine-seeded Black River is at top-seeded Columbus Grove. Number four, Cary hosts Columbia out of Columbia Station. Number 10, Winford goes to Harmon Field in Bluffton to take on the Pirates. And Ottawa Hills, the number six seed, is at number three, Colonel Crawford. Again, our broadcast games here on Blanchard River Broadcasting Stations, WFIN, has Arlington and Patrick Henry, pregame at 6.30 tonight. Pandora Gilboa is at Hopewell Loudon on WKXA at 6.35, and on 106.3 The Fox, starting at 6.30 pregame, it's Eden at Macomb. For Good Mornings, I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. Hard to believe that the college basketball season is almost ready to tip off. University of Findlay will open their season one week from today on the road at uh, at Truman State in Kirksville, Missouri. But they have already played their first game, an exhibition match 
against the Toledo Rockets in what has kind of become an annual tradition at Croy Gymnasium. That happened this past weekend. And as part of that exhibition game, they raised more than $2,700 to be donated to the Red Cross in support of victims of the Maui wildfires. With the tip-off of the season just one week out, Coach Charlie Ernst talks about the upcoming year on the hardwood. Once again, here is Coach's Corner host, John Marshall. It was just exhibition, but you got on the floor at Camp Arena in a game situation on Sunday when Toledo came to town. Last week, you told us that the receipts from the game were to go to the Red Cross in support of the Maui recovery effort. $2,700 was raised by the event. That's a great way to show that Euler Athletics is focused on the game day product, certainly, but that ultimately it's bigger than just the game. Yeah, you know, that's an opportunity. Uh, This game's an opportunity not only for us to benefit as a basketball program and hopefully Toledo to benefit as a basketball program, but, you know, so, so often in athletics, the game and the outcome becomes the, the only thing that, that matters. But, you know, I think in this case, it was more about uh, play them. It's about raising money, uh, making lives better for other people. And we talk about that a lot with our players, try to keep them humble, try to keep them, uh, you know, in the moment. And I think every opportunity we get uh, that still fits in with competing, uh, you know, is always a good thing. Well, now on to the game itself. You went on a bit of a tear pretty early, hitting six straight, going on top 14-13 for your only lead of the game. You're a Division II team, so it stands to reason that more often than not, the Division I program will prevail. Uh, the final 95-70. More important than the score, item one, did you come out of it healthy? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's probably been one of the positives of the entire preseason for us uh, is our health. Uh, I don't remember the last time that we've been as healthy as we are. Um, you know, we don't we don't have anyone not practicing right now, which is, you know, a great thing. In fact, what's I- ironic about that is I talked to Todd Kowalczyk, Toledo's coach, you know, he echoed the same thing, that this is as healthy as his team's been. So, you know, maybe maybe that's something that's uh, uh, that's a positive takeaway for us is that we're a very healthy team right now. Well, item two coming out of that game, did you feel like you were playing the kind of basketball that you, that you expect to use during the regular season? Well, uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Uh, you know, you never, you, you, as a coach, you always go into a game with an idea of what you'd like to get accomplished to go and, and if it goes that way, you know, what maybe your rotations would be and the, the different things you might try. You know, certainly I didn't anticipate that that they would defend us as hard and as aggressively as they did. Uh, so they caught me by surprise there. This is the fifth time we've played them. And in none of those previous games did they have a team capable of applying the defensive pressure consistently as their team this year. So, and then they got away from us maybe a little bit because of that, you know, midway through the first overs, got some runouts. Uh, and then we had to play from behind 
really the rest of the day. And, you know, so it was hard for us to maybe uh, get into some of the things we wanted to because we were playing from behind. So still we learned a lot of things, um, you know, and I thought Toledo played very well, um, you know, so I give them credit for that. Uh, but, you know, we've got uh, things we did do well. We executed, uh, you know, our offense at times very well. And I thought we had some really good defense with them which has been a focal point for us. Uh, so there were certainly some positive takeaways as well. Now you get on the floor in a game that counts on November 10th and 11th when you take part in the GMAC GLVC cro- crossover. Uh, this year it's being played at Truman State in, Kirker, in Kirksville, Missouri. You have a week plus to get ready for those games. What's the top priority? Getting in game shape, tightening up the D, working on the offense, team chemistry, maybe a little of all of those? <laughs> yeah, um, maybe you ought to be a coach, John. <laughs> Birds out of my mouth a little bit. I mean, um, you know, but but I think I think you have to toggle as a coach, right? The 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 things you feel like you need to work on that Toledo exposed, yet keep it in perspective and say, okay, they were able to expose some things, but realistically, how many? of the opponents that will play will be able to, to, to do the same things. Um, you know, maybe some, uh, you know, so as a coach, you got to figure out what truly are your weaknesses. Um, and, and I'm not sure they're really weaknesses as much as what we need to work on. Um, you know, so for us, really, we have one more scrimmage left before we, we go to Truman. Um, you know, and that'll be another good test for us, an opportunity to see if we've grown from this game uh, before we open up the preseason. But if I had to identify three things that we're going to focus on is continually decision-making on offense. We want to play fast, but we want to take good shots. We want to have, we don't want empty possessions, so we got to take on, I think, on the defensive end, you know, we, we've just got to continue to do a better job of keeping the ball out of the paint. It's inching ever closer. Finley opens on the road at Truman State with the Bulldogs in on their home floor Friday, November 10th, followed by Quincy a day later. I think with Truman State, you know, we've we've got a team there that uh, has lost a lot of guys. They've they've only got a few returners. We do play them on their home floor in their season opener, which is always a big challenge. Um you know, so that that's a game, though, that we feel like on paper we probably have an advantage for the last couple years. And then in Quincy, you know, that's a program that's really kind of turned over a new book. They got a new coach last year. He inherited a lineup, a program, so he kind of had what he had. It was a good win for us. They ended up having a very good season. Now, this year they return a lot of those guys he returns in his second year in their program. They're going to be a big challenge. They return a lot of guys. They ended up having a really good season last year. So two big tests in different ways for us to open up the season. Finley Oiler men's basketball coach Charlie Ernst, thanks for your time as always, sir. 
Thank you, John. So we mentioned the Oilers open on the road one week from today, and then the home opener is November the 18th against Ferris State at 3 in the afternoon. Best of luck to the uh, Oilers heading into a new college basketball season. It is that time of year. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. We begin with the international file, the broken news this morning in Australia, where a woman delayed all flights at Canberra Airport on Wednesday when she ran onto the tarmac, (laughs) managed to delay every flight at the airport by running onto the tarmac. And why did she do this, you might ask? That was my first question. Why in the world would you do this? Well, apparently the woman ran past security in an attempt to catch the plane that was preparing to take off. She (laughs) said, that's not how it works. Uh, She was captured on camera flagging down the pilot, similarly to how one might hail a taxi. It doesn't work that way. She's trying to yell at the pilot. She's trying to get his attention, jumping up and down. It was very bizarre, said one witness to the incident. Luckily, the pilot actually did see her and stopped the plane, turned off the engine, not so they could pick up an extra passenger, but because obviously this is a problem. The woman was apprehended, taken into custody by authorities, And all flights were slightly delayed due to the mishap. And the story goes on to point out that she did not, repeat, did not make her flight. So, don't do that. (laughs) You can't just hail a plane the way you hail a taxi. (laughs) What would possess someone to do that? I mean, to think that you could just run onto the tarmac and... Hail a plane. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll let you, you know, like the like if you were late to the school bus in the morning or something like that. You know, it's, it's not the same thing. All right. Elsewhere in the broken news today, this is kind of gross. Well, not kind of. This is just gross. A Grubhub customer. You're familiar with Grubhub, the meal delivery uh, service, right? Grubhub customer claims that his delivery driver served him a number one milkshake or a number one instead of a milkshake. Caleb Woods, he's from Utah, ordered a meal from Chick-fil-A, including a milkshake. He took one sip of it and immediately began to feel sick. He said in the report, the news report here, I soon discovered that the cup delivered to me from the Grubhub driver was a warm cup of number one, if you know what I mean. A warm cup of number one, not a milkshake. Uh, Mr. Woods then called the driver, who apologized and later explained that he kept a cup in his car for those times when nature calls... And he's not near a restroom. Maybe he's doing a delivery and he'll want to stop or can't stop. There's no restroom around, no public restroom. Although, how can there not be a place? I mean, you're picking up orders from restaurants. 
Use their restroom, man. Come on. But anyway, he keeps cupping his car for those times when nature calls. And he said he accidentally gave Mr. Woods the wrong cup. Oh, oh, oh. He said, I work long hours, which is why he uh, went with the cup system. Now, this is, and this was the part, I mean, aside from the obvious, this was the part that really stood out to me in the uh, story. Grubhub refunded only $18 of the approximately $25 order. (laughs) Because apparently the rest of his order was fine. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Woods said Grubhub also refused to refund the delivery fee and also refused to refund the tip that he had given the driver. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I think that the tip should be refunded. I, I would... I would say refund the tip because (laughs) if your delivery driver does that, makes that mistake, then you probably don't deserve a tip. He probably doesn't deserve a tip. Grubhub, for their part, says that they are following up with the customer. (laughs) Wow. Okay. In other broken news items here, speaking of uh, food, this is, uh, again, to me, completely unappetizing. Campbell's has unveiled its 2023 State of the Sides report. It is a gastro uh, gastronomic guide to holiday food trends. But this year, they have dived into the love of side dishes and... Merge that with Americans' love of chocolate, teaming with luxury chocolatier Philip Ashley to recreate these holiday side dishes in chocolatey form. They have created a limited edition soup-infused holiday sides collection, ensuring that you can now have your sides and eat them in chocolate format as well. Some of the classics include... Green bean casserole and jalapeno cheddar mac and cheese. Other fa- flavors like baked corn casserole, hot honey, uh, hot honey mashed sweet potatoes, uh, everything bagel mashed potatoes, and apple fennel and herb stuffing are coming soon in chocolate. I don't want green bean casserole at Thanksgiving. I certainly don't want green bean casserole. In chocolate form. Who is going to buy this? Uh, It says the Holiday Sides Collection by Philip Ashley Chocolates will be available available for purchase beginning next week. Online at philipashleychocolates.com. Not that you're going to go and order, but you can go and check it out and you will see that I'm not lying to you. This is actually real. No, thank you. Another uh, food story here. This is not gross, necessarily. It's just wrong. In Cornwall, England, the Britannia Inn claims a family of 12 ate a decadent meal and then left without paying the nearly $320 bill. A spokesperson for the pub claims the alleged thieves feasted on steak, pints of beer, and several children's meals. They watched and wait 
watched and waited for the staff to leave the room, turn their backs for 45 seconds, and they all ran out the door. They looked as if they were taking the kids to the play area in the garden, but no, they just left. The <laughs> what you know, it kind of um, made me chuckle here about this story is that the uh, pub posted footage of the family uh, on social media from their security cameras, <laughs> but they bur- blurred out the faces for security reasons. Uh, for privacy reasons, they had to blur out the faces, which will make it very difficult for authorities to identify the group of diner, dine, dine and dashers. <laughs> they had to blur out the faces. <laughs> they posted the security video. It's going to make them hard to catch, I would think. And a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news uh, this morning. Uh, try to explain this one to you. Well, this... Um, is a uh, highway crash, and we have these uh, from time to time. You get a crash on the highway where an unusual load uh, that a truck is carrying gets spilled all over the highway. Uh, this in uh, uh, Tuscola County, Michigan, last Friday, a crash between a pickup truck and a beat hauler. Uh, both drivers were injured, but not seriously. The sheriff's office says the pickup driven uh, by a man was making a turn when the hauler driver tried to avoid him by swerving around but the truck was already making the turn when the two collided and beats beats spilled all over the highway as a result and i'm thinking to myself i can imagine uh if you were to come through that intersection later uh after the beats had been scattered all over the roadway and i'm sure some of them uh run over run over and stain the roadway <laughs> you know the color of, of beats you get this uh, all of this red in this intersection. Can you imagine coming through later saying, what happened here? Uh, <laughs> this red all over the highway. What happened here? It was just beats. That's all it was. And uh, finally, in the uh, broken news, man from Georgia is actually facing charges uh, in Pittsburgh after he reportedly this past Sunday, Steelers played uh, last night, but this past Sunday they were home uh, for a game. Who did they play on this? I don't even remember. Anyway, uh, apparently this guy was uh, running around AccuSure Stadium hitting fans with a towel <laughs> during during the game. You know how you snap the towel uh, at people? He was doing that uh, all over the stadium, told by security to leave, but he refused to do so. He was uh, eventually uh, placed into custody and transported to the Allegheny County Jail. Uh, That is not what they mean when they talk about the terrible towels. That's not the proper use. (laughs) Terrible towels. They were certainly terrible for him, though. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So, fess up. Have you ever stolen your neighbor's Wi-Fi? <laughs> no, I don't know that I've ever... I, I haven't done that 
And I don't know too many people who actually do. It's kind of the, the running joke. Everybody has Wi-Fi, and uh, maybe your your neighbor uh, logs onto your Wi-Fi if it's not secured um, and, and uses your Wi-Fi. A new survey reveals that the country most likely to steal their neighbor's Wi-Fi is the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, 18% of respondents from the Netherlands say that they borrow someone else's internet connection. (laughs) They say they just borrow it. They're not stealing the neighbor's Wi-Fi. They're just borrowing it. Um, In Germany, it's uh, 7%, and I guess that's next on the list. Um. 4% of Americans, just 4% of Americans have used a neighbor's Wi-Fi, according to the survey of 2,000 respondents per nation. Uh, They looked at this, so they surveyed people all over the world, and it's a pretty wide-ranging survey. 4% of Americans, 7% of Germans, 18% of the Dutch say, and what I thought was interesting about this, and the reason I, I bring it up, one reason why... This is much more prevalent in the Netherlands than anywhere else on earth is because it is not against the law there to break into an an encrypted Wi-Fi connection. An encrypted Wi-Fi network is not protected by law. It is just about everywhere else, including, I believe, in the United States. If you were to hack into an encrypted Wi-Fi network, you can actually be charged with a crime but not in the Netherlands. It is not illegal. So I guess with the idea of no legal penalties, they're much less averse to doing that. Although I can't think that that's going to leave you in Dutch with your neighbors, so to speak. And now my wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio once again for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, and our Around the World tour (laughs) continues. Um, How long this tour might last, we really don't know. It's uh, until we run out of countries, I guess, right? Yeah. That's the idea? Until I just, yeah. No other good ideas so come, got, come to... So we've got uh, Italy and Germany and uh, what, Ireland. Ireland. Um, what Mex- else have we done? Mexico. Mexico. Yep. Mexico. Okay. Yep. Um, why is it we do Mexico and not Canada? We need to find out if there's anything in, ca- okay. in Canada. I, can do that. I don't know what they do yeah. in Canada. Yeah. Um, one time I had the one recipe from Canada with the French fries with the gravy on them. Yeah. That's yeah. like the uh, poutine. Is yeah. that what they call it? Yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. But that was really yeah, good, too. Do uh, something yummy. like that. Oh. Anyway, uh, today it is a collection of Swedish recipes yep. from the Swedish chef. <laughs> Uh, And of course, you can't have a collection of Swedish recipes without 
Swedish meatballs. Your favorite. So I love Swedish meatballs. It's one of your favorites. That's the reason I go to Ikea. Um, Anyway, uh, these are really easy and really Really yummy. Yep. So this is a half a pound of ground pork, a half a pound of ground beef, one tablespoon minced dried onion, one large egg, salt and pepper to taste, quarter cup of breadcrumbs, a quarter teaspoon of ground nutmeg, a quarter teaspoon of ground allspice, two teaspoons of dried parsley, and then for the sauce, three tablespoons of butter, quarter cup of all-purpose flour, three cups of beef broth, two teaspoons of Worcestershire sauce, and a quarter cup of heavy cream. So in a large bowl, combine your pork, your beef, your onions, your egg, salt, pepper, uh, breadcrumbs, nutmeg, allspice, and parsley. Mix that all together. Um, then roll into one and a half inch balls. Place the meatballs on a prepared cookie sheet. You can also fry them in a pan, but I just do them in the co- on my cookie sheet and mm-hmm. bake them because it's just so much easier. Yeah. Um, oven for three hundred fifty at three hundred fifty degrees for twenty minutes. The when you bake them, they're not as uh, as crispy on the outside, right. Correct. Uh, obviously, yeah. as when you do them in the so. Yeah. Whether you bake them or fry them yeah. will, I guess, determine whether you like your yeah. meatballs crispy on the outside. Yeah. So just yeah. something to just keep something, in mind there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, but it's just so much easier to do right. it in the oven. So yeah. instead of... Um, frying them in batches. Um, So that's what I do. But while the meatballs are baking, uh, begin making your sauce. Um, Add your butter to a skillet. Once it's melted, add the flour. Whisk whisk quickly until it forms like a roux. Uh, Then cook one to two minutes. Um, It's going to kind of get a golden brown color. um, And that just kind of gives you a more nutty taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, slowly add your beef broth, uh, whisk the whole time, keep it from getting lumps. Uh, once all the broth has um, has been cooked, cook for about five to seven minutes or until the sauce begins to thicken. Add your Worcestershire sauce and your heavy cream. Continue to cook until the sauce is thickened enough to coat the back of a spoon. Uh, then you can add your meatballs. I always add about quarter teaspoon to a half a teaspoon of nutmeg into my gravy also okay. just kind of right. i don't know gives it a not really good not an yummy. official ingredient no. but no what yeah. i do so and i i really like it um then add your meatballs to the sauce and cook them together for about five minutes and then enjoy there you go your swedish meatball yes. recipe to go along with that you have a recipe for swedish dill potatoes with creamy dill sauce yes so one pound of red potatoes quartered one tablespoon of butter one tablespoon of flour uh heaping one uh third cup of cream a third cup of milk one tablespoon of dried dill one teaspoon of nutmeg and salt and pepper for seasoning so place your cut potatoes in a large saucepan bring to a boil and cook until they're soft drain the water from the potatoes and set aside to cool Add butter to a medium-sized saucepan. Melt over the medium uh, low heat. You're making a roux again. Add your flour and mix until it turns into a soft paste. Add your cream. Whisk um, 
to avoid getting the clumps. Slowly add the milk and to continue to whisk. Then lower the heat and simmer for four to five minutes. Season with some dill, nutmeg, salt, and pepper. Mix with a spatula or wood spoon, scraping the sides of the pan and making sure that they are there are no lumps in the cream. Then pour the sauce into your cooked potatoes. Mix mm. and enjoy. Yeah, that is uh, really good. The Swedish dill potatoes and creamy dill sauce. Yes. Uh, and then for dessert, this is really easy. And yes. this uh, would be a great uh, Thanksgiving recipe yeah. for oh dessert. Oh my gosh, this was so easy. I made this last night. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, yummy. It is a Swedish apple pie. Yes. So the hard, the funnest part of all this is peeling your apples. So <laughs> so your pie filling is five to six uh, Granny Smith apples. I used Honeycrisp apples because I like Honeycrisp. So whatever your favorite apple is. Yeah. Um, one tablespoon of sugar, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and then your topping is one cup of flour, one cup of sugar, three-fourths cup of butter, one egg, and an eighth of a teaspoon of salt. Just a pinch. Yeah. I just shaked a little bit in when now, I did it. this is the thing with the Swedish apple pie. It's not yes. a pie in the traditional Correct. sense of the word. Right. So yes. that's what makes it unique. Yes. So preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Peel and core and slice your apples. Like I said, that's one of the things that it just <laughs> takes for ever it seems like but it's really good it's worth it and place your apples in a bowl add your sugar and your flour and mix that together fill the pie plate uh two-thirds full uh with the apples um in a medium-sized bowl combine your topping ingredients uh so that is your your flour your sugar your butter your egg and your salt and then spread the apples in the pie plate, put the topping on top of that, bake for one hour or until the crust um, is lightly brown. I ended up, it ended up for me, it was about an hour, hour, probably about an hour 15. I okay. wanted for my golden brown that I wanted. Uh, let cool for about 10 minutes and enjoy. And then you can cover the leftovers, put them in the uh fridge and uh, mm-hmm. save it for later but it's so good when and it was I'm, warm <laughs> and i'm guessing yeah it's, uh, it was really good i would think that this would be another one of those that may be better like the day the after the day after yeah because, warm it up and yeah you, yeah. You, you can warm that yeah. up and it sat there for a while yeah. and kind of soaked in yeah. all of the spices and yeah and all of that yeah so, with some ice cream mm-hmm. I, I i had whipped cream so that's what i uh I sprayed okay. some whipped cream on ours last night. So yeah, it's it's different from a traditional pie in that it there's is. no under crust. No. There's no the it crust kind of it kind of goes on top. Yeah, but then when it bakes, it kind of goes through the apples. And and it's and not a traditional crust no, crust. No, I mean it's, it's what we think of a crust. Gooey, so. gooey, yummy. Yeah. It was really this good. Is, essentially, this is going to be served in a bowl, not yes. on a pie plate. Correct. So correct. Keep that in a in bowl mind. with some ice cream and it's good some stuff though. Caramel top. and some pecans. Really good stuff. It was really good. Like we said, it'd be perfect for uh, something a little different for your Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dessert if you want to do something. really easy. Yeah, Yeah, very easy. Uh, So the recipes for the Swedish meatballs, the Swedish dill potatoes and creamy dill sauce, and the Swedish apple pie are all posted on the 
Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. Also, we've got a link up at goodmornings.net. You can find it there. And uh, next week, what are we doing? We're doing... I think we're um, doing Swiss. Swiss. Yes. Swiss recipes. Yes. Swiss recipes. We tried one last night. Yeah, we tried one of those uh, last night. Yes. So, um, so we're staying in the uh, Scandinavian yes. uh, countries. So yes, Swiss recipes next week as our Around the World Tour continues. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, the head of the SEC recently predicted that a financial crisis caused by artificial intelligence is nearly unavoidable and at the very least could heighten financial fragility. Are investors adopting AI technology too quickly, or do the benefits outweigh the risks? We'll try to answer that question. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.